the Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Here we go for another week. So election, election week uh, has come upon us and we are recording this early. So obviously we have no idea what is going to happen. Um, it, it's Wednesday and we may still not know at yes. this point. We're actually recording hope. this on election night. So things are getting Correct. real. It's polls are closing soon and uh, it's crazy. What do you it, think? What do you think Ohio is going to be Trev? I think it's going to be a red state. It's a big one. It's a big one for him. I mean, you guys have some pretty good electoral votes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, historically speaking, and the amount of visits he's made, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't follow it close enough to have a very strong, uh, educated opinion about it. But uh, my feeling, my gut tells me it'll turn red. But I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, I guess we will. So, uh, have you been? Been good. I'm now a married man. Uh, so, uh, I guess our listeners this week should know that the one we recorded last week was way before hand. Um, I was yes. not a married man last week, although I technically was on the calendar. Um, had an amazing wedding, and so so blessed to have the entire group of friends and family and and everybody at the wedding and. Uh, got to see a lot of awesome people. It was an absolutely perfect night. Couldn't have went any better. We wouldn't have changed a thing. Um, had an awesome time in um, Charleston, South Carolina, where we honeymooned. And, uh, man, that was perfect. Uh, we got away and uh, kind of unplugged for a week. Had a blast. And now we're we're back at it. So, um, married man now. Uh, it was, I could speak for probably everybody that was there great wedding um i i was honestly the most nervous for that best man speech than any other speech i have given in my entire life um i, I do want that to be on record it I was, was freaking perfect too i'm glad your wife videoed it because i was really concerned i texted the group there like the day after i was like does anybody have that because it was awesome you threw an oh in there and a resounding IO and reply. Uh, it was it was awesome, man. Uh, you know, it pained me a little bit to do the OH, <laughs> but I knew I was in the right place, and and there was going to be majority vote there. Yeah, no, uh, so. nice win over Nebraska. So it's it was fitting. Well played. Yeah, yeah. So how have uh, you I, been? I have been. Listen, before I dive too deep here. Let's just go ahead and thank our sponsors at Walton Webcast. <laughs> okay, let's do that. <laughs> because they have the Turkey Bowl Cyber Show. Oh, boy. Coming upon us. The entries are going to open November 9th through the 16th. We are in good shape weather-wise, I believe, at least in the Midwest states, some areas. So that show will be happening November 20th. And it's the last show of the Walton Cyber Show Series here. So that's the oh Turkey boy. Ball Cyber Show on Wall Webcasting. 
I think people need to do that. Uh, all their other Stivers stock shows have been incredible. Um, so support our folks there at Walton like they support us. Also, uh, another great sponsor and some cool things going on at showpig.com. They have a fall special going on. One e-blast, one week Jumbotron banner for only $450, folks. This is a $125 discount. Regular price is $575. So you're getting an e-blast and a big old Jumbotron on showpig.com. I suggest you do that. They get thousands and thousands and thousands of visitors weekly. Uh, now is bread guilt time. So we uh, we ought to look at that for a marketing option. You know, saving $125 on a Jumbotron and e-blast would buy you an awful lot of Chinese takeout. <laughs> you're right. So there you go. Buy a Jumbotron, get some Chinese takeout, have yourself a nice family dinner. There you go. So Trevor, you asked me a question. How am I doing? Hi, yeah. How are you? A lot of people don't know, I feel like. Um, a lot of people do know if you follow me on Snapchat. Um, I I did contract COVID-19. I am a, uh, I'm a survivor of the coronavirus. And I, I say that kind of jokingly and also kind of not jokingly for several reasons. Number one, uh, I had just about every symptom of COVID that was on the COVID symptom list, fever, uh, stomach issues, uh, lost sense of smell and taste. And as we talk, I still have not gotten that back. I had a tight chest. I had coughing. I had uh, headaches. I had uh, weakness and, and fatigue in the body. I don't name another COVID symptom. I probably had it. It it was the weirdest five days in a row I've ever had in my life when it comes to an illness. So so strange for for all for all of you wondering where I got it and contact tracing. What's interesting is I have not heard anybody that's come back with a positive test that was a, that I was in contact with over your wedding weekend. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, after you told us, you did the right thing and told everybody. Uh, we got tested as soon as we got back from the honeymoon. And Emily and I were both negative, which is yeah, which um, is strange. My my entire family that I have been around since then, uh, my wife, my, my uh, they have not. They've all tested negative as well. And what's interesting to me is if you contact trace back to where I could have picked it up. Uh, for those of you listening that were in Duncan, uh, there is a chance that that's where I picked it up, whether it was the airport or you know, whatever, uh, very interesting time. And, um, you know, obviously we are still putting ourselves at risk every day of lots of other things being able to happen. What's also interesting to me is, um, there was folks asking if I had already voted early or if I was going to vote. Mm. And I'll tell you this, um, I, other than having no sense of taste or smell, uh, which I've also heard people that have completely, eliminated COVID that have still yet to get their taste and smell back, which is concerning to me because I enjoy those things. Yes. Uh, food, uh, mostly food related. I'm going to interrupt you though, because the taste testing and the smell testing guess the shot on your <laughs> Snapchat was freaking hilarious. Actually, I think it was your wife's Snapchat. It was my wife's. Yeah. My, my wife, we did, uh, we did do some taste testing. Uh, still, I mean, could not smell a thing. And there was stuff that, that, that was in there that would very much have a strong smell. Highly uh, do yeah. not recommend taking shots of Worcestershire sauce. 
um, or uh, soy sauce, or uh, what was the real, real bad one? Um, oh, red wine vinegar. Yeah, yikes! Absolutely, do not. Um, you know, those things were were obviously ha- have a strong flavor profile. I tasted nothing of the good parts of those ingredients and all the acidic, bad, salty, disgustingness. But terrible. Yeah. Anyway, so um, obviously doing good. Um, yeah. How you feeling is, now? Are we better? Better now. Yes. Um, better now. I still can't taste or smell anything, um, but that's better than having to go to the hospital and be on a ventilator. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm thankful so, everybody around you is healthy. Uh, yes. So yes. Good stuff. So, uh, but, but what was it? What I was going to say is uh, there was people asking me if I was going to go vote and um, here's, here's my rationale. I may get some hate mail for this. I don't know. Um, I, I took this very seriously. I wore a mask. I had gloves on. I sanitized and socially distanced, but I did go and vote on Tuesday. Mm. Um, I was, uh, let's see, I would have been almost, well, over seven days, uh, fever free. And, you know, other than the taste or smell, I've been, uh, at least three days symptom free. So, um, I, I felt that, uh, with the, the, the chances for me to pass it on to somebody else, which we all know is, Less than one percent, I think, of people who right. have contracted the disease actually have shown symptoms and, and passed away. Um, I thought that me doing that was just as risky as me going out on the highway and driving my vehicle and getting in a car wreck. Mm. And I felt like my civil duty of being able to vote in an election that probably matters more or will matter more to anybody in our lifetime than we ever had was my rationale for actually going out and casting a ballot. So uh, for those wondering if I did make it out to go vote, I did. Um, Very, very interesting world we are living in. And I think that um, the chances of me actually passing the disease off to somebody else, had uh, had I not taken precautionary measures, like breathing on people and sniffing hair like <laughs> one of the presidential candidates does. Uh, you know, I just thought it was kind of a necessary thing. Yeah. No. Uh, well, like you said, your civil duty. Glad you got to do it. Glad you're healthy now. And uh, I guess life goes on. Sun will come up tomorrow. Yeah. I do think my wife also saved all those videos of me doing the taste test oh, and fantastic. what they were. So reach out to me if you want to see any of those. I mean, I'm telling you, I took some shots of gnarly stuff. I mean, (laughs) not alcohol. I mean, some of it was, but most of it was not. Oh, good stuff. Well, I have a feeling who your hat may go off to this week, or or maybe we're just going to switch it up. But our hats go off to Fierce Threads every week. Uh, they're, They're a big part of what we do here at Stock Talk Podcast. Get on our store and look at the incredible gear that we have and it all comes from of course fierce threads did you see the rolling with the poland shirt they have at big paul lifestyle now you know uh as a purebred swine um enthusiast and and also uh one that recognizes uh quality marksmanship with uh 
on target branding, I would say that they nailed that one. Absolutely. It's very neat. I like it very a neat. lot. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. My hat this week goes off to the poll workers, those who have to sit in that room hours and hours and hours collecting ballots of those who have no idea what kind of attitude they're in. No idea what party they're from. It doesn't matter. But it's either 6.30 or 7.30 at night. 6.30 in the morning, 7.30 at night. It's Ohio's poll times. And uh, I was there this morning and I was like, man, you know, my hat goes off to these folks because they're doing their civil duty on top of their civil duty. So my hat goes off to those folks. Nicely done, Mr. Kirkpatrick. So this week, uh, you know, my hat could go off to several different folks. But uh, this week, my hat goes off to you, America. 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 Uh, listen, you showed up. You, you did what you are supposed to do. You let your voices be heard. And I couldn't be prouder of you. My hat goes off to the American that prayed for our country, that no matter what happened in this election result, that we could all grow up, move along, and continue about our days and work together to make this country continue to be successful and great. And so my hat goes off to you, America. Amen. It's nice to live in a free country, isn't it? Absolutely. So I really, Trev, I was going to do a hats off to the um, drive-through COVID-19 testing centers. Oh, really? But uh, Yeah, um, until I stuck that three-inch cotton swab clear to my brain matter uh, <laughs> and had to swirl it around, I decided against it uh, because I was, <laughs> while I was sitting in line to get COVID tested, I, I was thinking about my hats off segment uh, for this week. <laughs> Not really. Oh, that's <laughs> but, hilarious. Uh, dude, that was a miserable experience, I promise you. If you do have to do that self-testing kit where you stick the cotton and, and they will make you redo it. Uh, the lady, I, I, luckily I shoved it far enough up my nostril to be accepted, but she watched me the whole time. Uh, and she said, wow, you really got up there. And I, I was like, well, I didn't want you to have to tell me to redo it. <laughs> that's that's pretty miserable. And she says, oh, you would, you have no idea how many, how many times we have to tell people to re-swab because they don't go up far enough. They like just go to the inside of their nostrils. She's like, you got to go clear past your nasal cavity. I'm like, Ugh, it's, it's not, not a good deal. Not pleasant, but, uh, you know, I guess the way to do it would be to go get the rapid blood test done. Yep. I've heard those are probably the easiest. Um, if you're not afraid of needles, but anyway, I digress. Oh, good stuff. Well, thanks to, to our friends at Fierce Threads, as always, our sponsor for uh, Hats Off. Now, Corey, I've got a pretty good Breed em, Ship em, Show em, and it comes from mm -hmm. one of our biggest fans on Facebook. But before we get to it, it goes without saying that Formula of Champions Show Feeds is sweeping the Midwest with their premium line of products. These products are highly fortified using ingredients that are consistent of high-quality standards. To learn how to flip the switch and bring your program to the next level, check out formulaofchampions.com. Formula of Champions, a division of Kallenbach Feeds. Now, Corey, I think it's your turn this week. So here we go. Are you ready? 
Yes, I, I think I'm ready, Trev. I'm a little nervous, though. Okay. Well, it comes from our friend Gavin Richards on Facebook. So he is now in, in the drawing for our prize pack. And we're going to draw that on our 100th episode, which we still need to decide what we're doing there. Have a ton of people who uh, wrote in and have some ideas. So we're going to continue with that. So Gavin, here is our breed em, ship em, show em. Option number one, a belted Galloway heifer that is good enough to win a national show Louisville. However, mm-hmm. she has a, as a baby, she broke her leg and has a deformity in her cannon bone when it came back together. So option number two is a Buckland good enough to win a weather show at the state fair. However, he got overlooked as a baby and did not get his tail banded. He now weighs 110 pounds. Oh, my. Option three. The best cross guilt that Trevor, that's guessing that's me, has ever seen, but is infertile, and no matter what, she will test positive for ractopamine. Son of a gun. All right. Um, that's real tough. That's real tough. You have to assume that the belted Galloway heifer's deformity on her cannon bone cannot be fixed with a fit job. Um, so obviously genetics and quality are there. I'm not a belted Galloway guy, but I would say that if I were, that uh, you know, that might be might be a good option. The buck lamb that's 110 pounds. Good enough to win a state fair weather show. Uh, oh man, that that's a tough one too. Um, here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, because we have an infertile crossbred gilt, although she's very very good and will test positive for ractopamine, it was not uh, it was not noted that this gilt um, was going to a show that required a ractopamine-free test. True. However, I would assume that most uh, will be going to that anyway. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to ship the crossbred guilt. Sorry, okay. Trevor. Dang it. Best one I ever saw. Best one you ever saw is going to the sale barn. Um, we are going to, we're going to breed the belt to Galloway. Uh, just assuming if she's good enough to be a national champion, that those genetics will be valuable. And what a niche market, by the way. Yes, in a niche market. So that's what you got to do. Um, and then this Buckland that's good enough to win. I mean, if you got one good enough to win the Indiana State Fair at 110 pounds, I feel like, you know what, we're just going to we're find the best vet in the country to come get that thing surgically docked. And we're going to make a we're going to make a run at it because that's that's a hard feat to do. So uh, we're breeding the Galloway. Showing the buck lamb, shipping the cross guild. Interesting. Interesting. That's not how I would have had it. But here's what I think you would have done. I think you are shipping the Galloway, breeding the buck, and showing the guild. You got it. You got it. That's what exactly I'm going to do. I just know you. You do. Yeah, because I don't think I would show the 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 buck lamb with a tail dangling to his hocks. I just no. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I, this is what the fun is all about. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm getting that. I'm getting the, the best vet in the country to get that one surgically done and go win the state fair. 
Let's go. I've seen crazier things happen. Now, now you are putting that thing through a lot of stress, though. If it's a buck lamb at 110 pounds, you're talking about castration and a, a surgical tail docking could set you back. But if he's good enough to win it, he's good enough to win it. Right. So. And like the Galloway deal, if if she's bummed up legged and is deformed in her cannon as a heifer, how's she going to handle pasture as a bread? That, that's my question. You know, I don't know. That's you could always flush her. That's true. That is true. We got that, and that's why and that's why I'm breeding her. There we go. All right. I dig it. I don't know. You might be onto something there though, breeding the buck lamb and <laughs> I knew I could flip you. It's tough. You're not gonna change my <laughs> mind, but it that's I knew that's probably how you would do it. Oh, good stuff. Folks, yeah. seriously, we uh we are really loving these. We're getting a lot of them sent in. Uh, so we're going to use the really good ones. So make sure you get creative. Uh, if we use yours on a future show, you will be sent in the hat made by Fierce Dreads. And we're going to draw out of it for a prize pack of some of our merch that is being sold right now on stocktalk-podcast.com. We're going to draw on episode 100 for the prize pack winner. Oh, Here's boy. Trevor, uh, I know you and I talked uh, post-wedding for you mm -hmm. um, about what what potentially could be happening on episode 100 and i will tell the folks listening if you are just are you if you're new to stock talk or if you've been a listener of stock talk for a while and have had the opportunity to listen to our very first guest episode um what a story that is the only hint that you're going to get um of something that could potentially happen on episode 100 um, just going to put a little carrot in here for that. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And let's just, the one thing's for sure. It will not be in our episode. This, this deal is unlimited. I mean, huge. We, we could go all night if we need to. So, so we're going to do folks. Those of you that exercised your right to vote, we thank you. Those of you that, uh, are getting ready to dive into this episode and here's some passionate words from a passionate young swine breeder in the industry. We thank you. Those of you that have listened to stock talk podcast, uh, whether it's your first time tuning in or you have listened throughout the entirety of the stock talk journey over the last two years, we thank you, Trevor. I am passing the mic to you to do the introduction for the first time. Well, not the first time, but one of the first times of our guest for this week. We're talking about a guy that is as passionate as I've seen anybody in the show stock world. We're talking about a guy whose smartest purchase ever led him to be one of the most premier breeders of our age. We're talking about a guy who loves the Duroc breeds and breeds them the way he likes them. And that's it. Guys, if you're soft-hearted and want a yes man, I caution you what you're going to hear. But if you're a die-hard enthusiast and you're wanting some real knowledge of how to breed hogs and do it the right way and do it your way, please help me welcome and enjoy Mr. Seth Ebert. Well, Corey, I got a 
practically a neighbor on again. Uh, we've had a couple guests that were right uh, down the road from me here uh, in Northeast Ohio. We got Mr. Seth Ebert of Mohican Valley Genetic. And uh, Seth, thanks for joining us. And we are excited to get to some of these topics out there because I've visited your place many times, had a really good conversation every time I've been there. Um, so for those who haven't met you yet, just give us a little background about yourself and just a little bit of a roadmap of where you've been and how you found your way back to Ohio. Right. Um, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. Um, but uh, as far as my path, um, went to high school at Hillsdale High School here in my hometown. Went to uh, college in Casper, Wyoming on a livestock judging scholarship. Uh, uh, went to CSU, got my bachelor's, um, which is Colorado State University, um, <clears throat> and then landed uh, the boar stud manager's job there at uh, a cut above Sires uh, in Hirschfeld Livestock there in Benedict, Nebraska, right out of college. Um, during college, I mean, really my start in the hog thing is, is uh, not what a lot of people would expect. You know, I didn't grow up in a hog rich background my dad likes cattle and uh showed pigs at the county level state level and uh you know just always had a passion for it um wanting to breed sows and do things like that and when i was uh <clears throat> actually in college i managed a uh, maternal nucleus um for shout brothers just down the road here in apple creek ohio helped manage a 950 uh sow um, unit that was breed to wean um, got a lot of life lessons there um, and uh, had the opportunity to come back full-time there if I wanted to but I decided to go to a cut above I was there for four and a half years and um, built that herd up uh, and kind of took the reins there and uh, had a lot of success and just felt like it was time for me to get home and um, I guess here I am now. So got back last November. I've been back a year now. Wow. So yeah, you've kind of been, um, and it, it worn every hat, they say, uh, just kind of a Borstead deal, Hirschfields and, and getting through that. Uh, now you recently started the open show down there at Perry. I was last year, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. It was, it was, actually, it was, I guess this year, January. Well, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Just before COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. I mean, I sort, I've sorted that. I've sorted national barrow show for the CPS side and, um, done some state fair stuff and, um, some regional shows and a bunch of County fair and jackpots, but, uh, yeah, Georgia was a fun trip. Oh yeah. No, I was, it, that was fun to watch cause you're practically a neighbor and that's kind of where I met you down there. Corey, were you going to say something? Yeah. It seems like it, Perry was forever ago. Uh, it, when you consider what's all happened since then with COVID and shows canceling and move in and, and these alternatives come in and stuff like that. But uh, pretty interesting uh, to, to even kind of think back that long. Um, Seth, so I want to dive into the boar stud side of things that, that you guys run there. All right. Um, and, and, and number one, uh, what's it been like uh, for as far as semen sales goes, have you have you seen things uh, kind of stay on pace? Obviously, people still need to get sales bred, um, and then we'll dive into some other conversation there with that. But what's kind of right. your feeling? 
Borstud um, owner? Well, I really don't like to title myself as a Borstud owner, just mainly because I try to sell her boars. So um, my mentality sure. is, is if people want to use my hogs, they can certainly do so, but they're my herd boars. So, you know, they got a pre-order only. I've kind of got a stipulation on that. I don't collect twice a week like I used to at a cut above. Um, collect when my sows need semen or a customer. I mean, honestly, I, I've actually seen pretty good semen sales for not wanting to be a boar stud and really not promoting myself as a boar stud. But, uh, you know, loyal customers from, you know, when I was at my cut above days, um, as well as, you know, having some success here in the state of Ohio, you know, everybody wants a piece of the, of what, what's winning, that kind of thing. I got a little bit of hype on a few boars, um, and, uh, been selling quite a bit of semen on those. So, um, I mean, I can't complain, um, whatsoever because I really didn't care if I, I really don't care if I sell semen, to be honest, that's kind of the way I try to stay different is having my own little, niche i guess so you've just baited me into my next question and that is you know knowing knowing that you utilize uh you know the boars that you have at your place um you know how, how do you utilize those hogs uh, without the need to chase those trends or maybe feel the need to use the most popular boars and the most popular pedigrees that sort of thing and, and to just make the hogs you like uh how are you doing that and, and maybe what mentality have you taken in, in that approach excuse me uh well i mean my mentality i've always been uh you know i've i've got a lot of people that call me an old soul and i i take it as a compliment i mean i'm 28 but i've got this breeder's mentality um and putting the breeds first trying to and i have a deep dedication to trying to make these breeds better um and one thing i found you know the borstead thing and cut above really opened my eyes to what having herd boars is actually about. You know, it, you got to be able to cover your sows. Um, and Hirschfeld's actually started their boar stud to do just that, just breed to their own stuff, but yet sell a little juice on the side to try to um, supplement some cost. Uh, and really that's kind of the approach I take is I hate, spending money. I really do. And, um, I figured the cheapest thing I've got is me. So at least if I can be smart about breeding decisions, reach out and use an outside boar when I need to, um, when I see one that I like, uh, and I don't know, I've got my own, I, I don't want to call it my own, but more or less, in this industry, you can either be somebody that chases the trends or you can be what I call a breeder, somebody that just breeds hogs the way they want to breed hogs, trying to make them better day in and day out. And I've always taken pride in being definitely away from the trends. Uh, and it's not that I even run from them, but the biggest thing I don't, I've never quite grasped is just because the boar brings a lot of money does not make him a great one does not mean he has to see every sow in the country and and uh i'd be hard pressed to tell you that i probably haven't used 
Pioneer is probably the most expensive Duroc bore I've used in seven years. And we bought him for 40,000 off the farm from Chuck and Ben Olson. Mm. Outside of that, I haven't used anything higher than that. I've used, I bought a no sale bore from world pork expo for $300 in the back of the barn and put him in my best sow. Um, I out with a bang, which that was a bore that, uh, I raised while I was at Hirschfeld's Hirschfeld's raised him. He was reserved at, at Belton Levi Canales and Chris Fishbacher bought him for 2,200 bucks. I put him in every sow we owned, uh, in Benedict. Um, and a lot of the females that I'm playing with now all go back to out with a bang, um, in one way or the other. And right now, OWAB 84.4, which is kind of the hot bore right now at my place. Um, he had a really good opening weekend there the first weekend in Ohio. Um, had a really good showing at Eastern Regional. Um, I mean, he's a direct son of Out With A Bang. So, And Out With A Bang was four or five years ago. So, I mean, I don't know. I just have this dedication to making these things better. Everybody thinks, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. I guess I look at it as I might as well make my own use my own. I know the predictability. I know the sows back in all these bores, how they're going to actually generate, um, you know, and that's, that's one thing that means a ton to me because the only way you stay relevant, stay current and stay in business essentially is if you can crank out consistent product year in and year out. Yeah, so, no doubt. Yeah. That's just really what you got to do. So, see, and that that to me is such a unique uh, trait, maybe that some, or or at least something that some people might think is unique, given the fact that you know you're not a sixty or seventy year old breeder that's been doing it forever, and with your background, what's even more special to, in my, you know, just from you know, you have taken that mentality of of being a true purebred swine breeder uh and, and making these things better and, and you didn't grow up doing it like it or come from that like you said earlier that rich show pig background uh, and that mentality hasn't been bred into you it's something that you developed over the course of your time growing up and 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 showing in the people you've met and worked for that to me i think is a real testament to the fact that just because uh, there are these cool trends and these hot boars or hot pedigrees out there that it can still be done like it used to be done <laughs> as far as having that mentality of just making, making them better and doing it the way that you want to do it. Uh, to me, I think that just speaks volumes for the fact that you are a younger guy in the industry and you know, it, it, it's not, uh, I guess it kind of takes away from that uh, saying of um, you know, these young kids, these young breeders don't know what they're doing. They're just chasing bone and, and, uh, and cool front ends. And, you know, to me, I, I think that just, it's really encouraging, I guess, to know that there's somebody out there that's really doing it hard like you are. No, I appreciate it. Now, Seth, I don't know if, if you want to dive into this or not. Uh, that's the beauty of editing, but would you tell the story of Castaway? Because, on on my side, and this this will tell the tell the listeners where where we're at here because I I made a visit. I've I was wanting to go look at some purebred hogs. Uh, those of you who don't know, Seth is very very uh, passionate about the the Duroc breed. Has a couple Yorkshires and crosses too. But uh, 
Seth was awfully excited to show me this a picture of a boar in kind of a confinement area and was extremely excited about him. Now, I'll let you kind of take the rest of the story if you're willing to tell it. Yeah, I'll tell it, but um, we'll leave names and stuff out of it. But, like, so there was a commercial guy down the road, um, didn't know how to breed sows, uh, AI. Um, he was natural covering 100 sows. So he wanted to buy semen from, he wanted to buy boars from me. And I told him, I said, well, I'll just sell you semen. Well, I don't know how to breed sows that way. I said, well, I'll just, I'll teach you. So I put on disposable coveralls. He'd pick me up down the road and make a long story short. First time I go into this guy's place, um, you know, the building's run down. It's older. He's renting it from an old, older gentleman that's raised hogs since the sixties. So, I mean, it's a little older and I go down the aisle and breed this sow and I'm walking back out and I just, you know, happen to see a pair of Duroc boars in this pen and they both run off and it's like a 60 foot run. I mean, so this thing's way out there, knee deep in crap and all this stuff. And he's, I mean, it's just rough conditions. And I said, well, Hey man, just go down there and bring him things back up here. So he brought them down and I stared at them and I'm, there's, they were pair litter mates and I just couldn't believe the bone in these things. And still the one was just an okay kind of a hog. There was one that I thought was very good. Um, range of motion, flexibility, skeleton was very good. Just stupid big legged. And I am not a bone junkie by any means, but this thing weighed 190, 200 pounds and had legs like a five-year-old mature boar. And I'm like, holy cow. I just figured I was seeing commercial sows and seeing this thing's bones. So I pretty much walked away. I didn't even, I didn't even want to talk about it. <laughs> so I get in the truck. I call the guy that raised this boar that sold him at a gas station for $75 um, to this guy for a cleanup boar. So I call the guy who raised him, a, good, a really good friend of mine, respect him to no end. And I asked him, I said, what's this four litter? And he tells me, you know, they're, they're red weddings on Addie's his litter mate sister. Holy cow. I mean, I've seen that Sal and I'm like, oh boy. Okay. And he's like, well, why? I said, well, I'm probably going to buy this boar. And, uh, it took me about two weeks to convince myself that I was going to breed my entire April, or August and September breed group to a boar that ultimately I traded a boar that I was just going to throw to just, just junk. I just <laughs> traded him a boar for a boar and brought cast away home. And I bred him to every August, every September litter I had. And I actually just got done breeding him for this next summer season. And he probably got, Oh, probably 10 more sows. So I, uh, yeah, I really felt when I saw that boar, I found like the ultimate diamond in the rough. I mean, it just, uh, and he sired so good. These things are very consistent. Um, maybe didn't, at least as young ones, uh, maybe he didn't generate as dumb bone as I thought he might. They're still way above average and they're really short back, good looking hogs with a really good hind leg. And, um, you know, 
it's funny you ask me about that because this thing was a freak, okay? And Kirk Swanson, good friend of mine, said it best. I, I really, really hit home in his interview the other night. I was watching, um, you know, that you've got to make your sow herd, you know, so fundamental, generations of being fundamental so you can violate them. Hmm. That is exactly what Castaway was. I mean, that was the freaky, out there, dumb-boned, you know, bred to be a power hog but looked like a build hog. I mean, just a wild card type of a boar. And, you know, every year I try to find that boar that's different. You know, two years ago it was Hondo, another boar I got from the same guy I got Castaway from. And I traded him a gilt for that one, and then Hondo – as the champion overall barrow and guild in in Ohio had reserve champion guilt in Ohio, as far as the points in the show circuit, third and fourth overall guilts and third overall barrow at OILE had a whale of a good run. Um, but you know, those are, I don't know. It's funny. You asked me that because, uh, I mean, that was what those two boars were. Well, Violate my sows, you know, just freak them out. And it's it it's something really well. I never forgot because that that right there just solidifies what, what we're talking about here. You like hogs. You're going to take those hogs home, and you're going to breed them to your sows, and you're confident in them. And it, it's fascinating because, you know, everybody at, at times are, are guilty of chasing that trend. I've never seen them before, but everybody's using them, so I have to breed them, you know, that kind oh, of thing. That. So when you yep. see a boar like Castaway and you like him for your herd and you use him on almost everything, it just brings out, uh, you know, the no bullshit attitude. And, and I, I really am intrigued. Every time I go over there, obviously I've made many trips uh, to, to look at those hogs and I'm feeding a couple myself out of that barn. So the follow-up question to that is, okay, for some of our listeners who may have their own herd boars and, and are getting – inspired by this story how have you made your sales sets attractive to the buying public who might not really know your herd boars uh that you have on your farm and try to get those sales out there for those who buy yeah that's a really uh that's a really tough not a tough question to answer but that's a it's taken me a while to um you know, brand myself, you know, that, that's the biggest thing I can tell you breeders that have herd boars, stick to your guns, man. I mean, that I value guys that use their own stuff. I hate guys that just spend $50,000 on semen and act like they know what they're doing. I, go out and buy a $400 boar, make him work. And then we'll talk, you mm. know, that that's, you know, so when you've got your own herd boars, I mean, I value that. The only way, honestly, that I market my hogs and have a lot of, I mean, when, when you gave me that question, I mean, I sat back and thought about it and I am kind of fortunate. I mean, I, I, I sell all these pigs and nobody knows what daddy is. I mean, nobody does. They heck half of them don't even know what mama is sired by and you know, all this other crap. And the, the one thing I, I really kind of come back to and is me. I was the wild card in this whole endeavor. And I don't know if, if it may, it's, if it's going to make sense, but you know, like my saying right now from Hicken Valley genetics, all my customers is, you know, ride for the brand. And 
you know, I took a little heat for saying that, you know, putting it on my hats and all this other stuff. Well, what's ride for the brand? That means loyalty. And there's no loyalty in the show pig thing anymore. I mean, like it's just on to the next great one. You know, if, if that Barrow sells for 500, he can't be any good. You know, he's not over a thousand, you know? So when I moved home, I really wanted to try to brand myself in my, my operation as, you know, more or less I'm working for my customers and they have to put their trust in me that when I buy a castaway or a Honda or, you know, a my way, which was a $300 no sale board expo. I mean, when I buy these boards, they should not lose one ounce of sleep thinking, Oh man, Seth's going to go backwards. No, they got to have faith in me and, you know, loyalty and, and trust in me to to make it work and I think that's the biggest thing you know the ride for the brand thing's been good for me a lot of my customers are you know buying into the program you know understanding that hey you know that chubby redheaded guy he's not as dumb as some people think he is you know like <laughs> he knows what he's doing we're gonna just he takes care of us we're gonna take care of him show his hogs and really I've had an outstanding year of customers meeting new customers. And I'm not saying just the customers that win. I mean, all the way down to the gate gate hogs, you know, and just working with these people and getting them to understand, Hey, you might not know what these things are out of, but I've got your back. And I mean, that is honestly, because you're never going to get the hype on a herd bore unless that herd bore wins. Mm. So the only way you win is to get hogs in good hands. I mean, to this day, I still have people, you know, hey, where's Hondo at? Well, he's dead. <laughs> got 14 doses of frozen on him, but I'm not selling it to you, you know. And, you know, what's Castaway? What's what's this OWAB 84-4 bore? What is even that? What is out with a bang, you know? And I just smile about it because I like to go into pedigrees and and break down the sows that are behind it you know trevor he, he knows when he comes to my place you know we're talking sows yeah. that that one's mom grandma great grandma great great grandma all them things i farrowed so there's a lot of consistency behind them so as far as like those breeders with them herd boars what i would tell them is one you've got to be there's a difference between having a a herd boar that is, should have just been a call boar or finding that diamond, you know, not, not even a diamond in the rough, but just finding good hogs. You know, I mean, there's so many good herd boars that'll make them sound big skeleton, you know, dense with the right kind of maturity patterns and that kind of stuff that you can buy for under a thousand dollars. So making sure you find the right ones, don't just buy a heartbeat. Make sure you're trying to make your stuff better. But then when you do that, you know, you got to, at least for me, I'm just talking from my experiences. It's, it's really worked well for me having the, you know, my customers have faith in what I'm telling them. They know I'm not lying. They know I'm a straight shooter. I mean, I guarantee every hog out of my barn sound if you buy them sight unseen. I mean, I've done a lot of sight unseen stuff. Um, if you're a return customer, you know, I'm going to take care of you. 
I mean, you know, that, that $750 barrel might turn into a $500 barrel real quick if you're a return customer. Um, because I love working with families and I, and I don't like, I don't like working with jocks and I don't like working with, you know, what I used to call, you know, guys that could uh, feed one and never breed one type of status, you know? So I like to keep my customer base getting bigger, but my customers also understand that I've got their back. I'm not going to charge them, you know, out the wazoo for a guilt this coming year, you know, or, you know, two years, you know, we're, we're just going to take care of you. You guys take care of me. I'm going to pay my bills and you're not going to be broke because you spent $4,500 on a cripple. Yeah. I mean, so, and that's really what's worked for me. I, I honestly, that is the only thing when I, when you guys gave me that question, I thought, man, the only thing I can honestly say that entices the people is the trust in the program. You know, the, the fact that I've won some, had some success. Um, and, uh, you know, me, I guess my network of people, you know, that trust me. So that's all I could say. I don't want to ramble on. I don't really know if that's a good answer or not, but. No, I, I, I buy into it a hundred percent. I think anybody that's had any sort of level of success, regardless if they're, uh, you know, breeding with their own herd boars or not, uh, you only get repeat customers by treating people right. And obviously, uh, having that business develop over time is something that uh, you've worked at. And, and I guess if I could piggyback off that a little bit, uh, you know, when you're talking about herd boars and, and, and trying to market those pigs and stuff, uh, having a unique name like Castaway with his story obviously helps you out just a little bit. I think. <laughs> yeah, no, everybody loves that name. I was hey, like, man, I, they threw him away. I mean, they totally <laughs> I you think have you have an opportunity, Seth, to name a castaway son Wilson, and if you don't, <laughs> I'm gonna be upset. I'll I'll name him Wilson just for you. That doesn't <laughs> sound right. That sounds good. Are you ready to take your marketing and design to the next level? Tarbell Marketing and Design is a livestock savvy marketing agency that will get you thinking out of the box. Every first-time customer can get 15% off if you mention Stock Talk Podcast. Visit ChooseTMD.com today. The difference is in the details. <laughs> That's a cool story, man. I love I love that stuff. Yeah, I think it happens everywhere. But, um, man, that uh, – so <laughs> I'm sure – he might be one of your best in best purchases you've ever made. But this leads into the next question. I asked Trevor this, gosh, it was probably two or three episodes ago now, um, what his best and worst purchases he's ever made was and, and what he learned from those experiences. So I'm going to throw it at you, Seth. What are some of the best and worst purchases you've ever made? And what did you take away from those? Honestly, the best purchase I ever made was the sow herd I'm playing with right now. And I say that because of, you know, I didn't really go into too much depth there in my background, but the Hirschfeld family is like family. Uh, they are family to me. Um, Ross Hirschfeld was a, you know, a father away from my parents, you know, type of status, a home away from home, you could say. 
And uh, I worked my butt off for Ross and, and he always treated me right. And, you know, the funny part about Ross is there was a saying, if you didn't know Ross, if you don't, or if you did, you know, this kind of explains it to, to a T is, you know, Ross knew no, fr- uh, knew no strangers. And that was just how he was. And he kind of took me under his wing and it was a funny story. I know I'm getting elaborate on this question, but, uh, there was a sat, there was a guilt that I raised a 20 litter. It was a 20 litter. And, uh, there was three litter mate sisters. And I told Ross, I said, boss, you know, I've been here a year and a half, man. How about letting me buy one of these 20 litter gilts? Well, which one do you want? I said that 20 three guild, I'd like a, a great deal. And I didn't own a sow at the time. And he looks at me, he said, you really want her? I said, yeah, well, you can't have her. And he gets back on his gator and drives away. And I thought, <laughs> man, what a dick. And, uh, you know, a week goes by, I was almost getting a little irritated. And that's how Ross played with me. He, he liked to push me um, to see where I'd break. And it was kind of a tug of war thing with him. But make a long story short, it, a month goes by. He comes out to the barn, finds me one day. And he says, Seth, where's your wallet? I said, oh, I don't know. It's over there in the truck. All right, jump on. So we get on a gator, go to my farm truck. I get my wallet. I said, what do you need? You need some money or something? He's like, yeah, what do you got? <laughs> and I said, I don't carry much cash because I bank out of Ohio. I was like, I don't carry much cash. I, I said, all I got is a $10 bill. And he says, all right, that'll do. You own that 20-3. And he sold me that guilt for $10. All right. Now, this is where his story gets real good. So that sow is was very very good she actually is a mother of mahican at doug stewart's my class winner last year um at summer type conference but you know that was just i guess that was my start that was the very first red sow that seth ebert ever owned was 20-3 mahican's mom ross sold her to me for ten dollars and she was worth a way more than that um and uh so yeah, the sow heard from Hirschfeld. So to go back on this, that was the best purchase I've ever made. And yes, it was expensive, but at the same time, I started at Hirschfeld's with two red sows. And I love Durox. I built, you know, Ross gave me the tools as far as boars and and you know, going out and you know, buying some boars or using some outside boars and building a breeding program and having the patience to let me get it up and get it going. And unfortunately Ross passed away before I could um, buy them from him essentially. Um, But uh, you know, for Chad to work with me the way he did on that sow herd um, and let me take it intact, the Duroc boars, the Duroc sows, everything red came to my house. Um, And Chad actually, uh, threw them on the pot trailer. I was already moved back here. Um, Chad threw everything on the pot trailer and he drove them out here nonstop from Nebraska through the night one night and, uh, got here last November, um, with a pot load of red styles and, uh, unloaded them, threw them in the sow barn. And that was hands down the best purchase 
it was it was a great purchase, but at the same time, that sow herd meant so much to me. I was so glad. I don't know really where I would have started if I had to start it over again, uh, um, because there's just so much stuff out there I'm not crazy about. Um, meant to be. Yeah, and I and I loved what I had, but as far as so that's the best purchase. Um, and my sow that I bought from Ross was that's the most heartfelt purchase I've ever made. Ten dollars for a sow that was worth thirty five hundred easy. Um, that just shows you what kind of a man Ross was. But uh, mm. um, the 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 dumbest purchase I have ever made, hands down, was all the baby gilts I thought I'd try. <laughs> Um, oh man, she's out of this guy's good sow. She's out of that boar. Ah, hell, I don't really like that pedigree, but man, you got to have something different. I'll try her. And I kid you not every time then things get 250, 300 pounds. They are, you know, like sausage on hooves. I mean, I'm just like, let's just ship these things. They're <laughs> no good. I don't like them. You know, I'm just way out in those are the dumbest things I do is I get an itch in the spring, you know, all the millions of pigs that are sold. And I think I'm smart enough to find that one diamond in the rough on a picture and I'll spend four or 500 bucks on one and put another 200 a feed in her and then pretty much just ship her for $200 flat. So, uh, I wish I could take the money back that I've spent on baby guilt. Yeah. That's the dumbest purchases I've ever made. <laughs> I love it. Fair enough. So, sausage on hooves. That got me. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> Trevor and I were talking about that one. Uh, it, it's, it's funny you bring up the baby pig purchases, you know, uh, I feel like Trevor and I've both been pretty lucky at times with, with some baby pig purchases that turned out uh, to be pretty special at the end, but you're not, you're not lying there when you say sometimes those, those cheap ones are there for a reason uh or or those pigs that nobody's really bidding on they're like ah you know i might give that one a shot they might be there because they actually aren't very good yeah, uh, just don't spend your money word to the wise just don't do it yep <laughs> i love it uh, i feel that all right Corey, i'm really looking forward to digging in uh to this segment here with <laughs> We caught the breakdown brought to you by Brad Howe Ford in Kokomo, Indiana, award-winning service that will get you into your next vehicle purchase. I suggest you call the folks there at Brad Howe Ford. They are absolutely awesome, and we appreciate everything they do with us here at Stock Talk Podcast. So the first time I went over to Seth's place, he said something, I'll, again, that I'll, I'll never forget, and I'll always make sure that everybody knows that he coined the phrase. But here's what we're going to break down this week, the no-melt guarantee. And when he said it, we were we were looking at boars at potentially that we were going to try to purchase, so on and so forth. Or he was going to try to show one way or the other. And he was like, I, I have a no-melt guarantee. And that that's the first part of this question, or the breakdown, I guess. The second part is, and this is kind of what people are going to hear about it, is do you think that the show boars that go in and out of the rings are being fitted too hard and becoming too hard to keep together once the buyer gets them home and tries to work with them and their own program. Boy, I don't ever, you know, it was not intentional 
the no melt guarantee coining that phrase. You know, it's a, you know, Terry Schaefer says it best, you know, because I, I coined that on forefront, I guess is what you could say. Cause so I win expo with forefront, uh, when, when I was at Hirschfeld's Hirschfeld's one with, with a Duroc borer. He was a pioneer out of a, out of an iconic flash drive sale and, uh, was so different. Okay. This thing had a back like a 50 gallon drum. I mean, this thing was just stupid stout, big, big rib, um, and was square and could handle it. And, you know, every boar stud in the country kicked him up that the night before the sale. And I was sitting there talking to Terry and Terry's done a lot of business with me, bought a lot of boars from me. And, um, and I have a great respect for him. And, we were just sitting there shooting the breeze about the boar. I was going into things and Lindsay leans over and, you know, kind of just touches four fronts back. And, uh, I looked at Terry and he looks at me and he's like, well, what are you doing? And well, I just was saying, you know, how real he was. And I, I don't, I didn't really get mad about it or anything. I just nonchalant looked at Terry and I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll put a hundred percent no melt guarantee on that damn thing. And I said, the only way he melts is if you shut the electric off, the water doesn't work or you haven't fed him in a month. And ever since then I get asked on every board I take to a show, you know, has this one got a no melt guarantee? Well, hell yes, he does. I mean, like I don't fit these things. They're real. I mean, they're real. I do not fit boards. I hate fitting boards. I don't fit boards. And, you know, I get that question all the time. Some of it's a joke, you know, giving me crap about, oh, man, you know, you're no melt guarantee. Well, yeah, yeah. Why don't you go put some on your boards and we'll see how, you know, gutsy you really are if you want to give me crap, you know. I feel like if I would have told my wife I came with a no melt guarantee, she probably wouldn't have married me because uh, <laughs> I have done I have done That's anything. That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh. But, uh, yeah, so the no melt guarantee was not intentional, um, by any means, but I guess it's kind of stuck with me and, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but, uh, it's a good reputation. I kind of like it because uh-huh. it's like, they just know that when I bring one out, I mean, he's going to generate exactly the way he looks. I mean, whether you like him or you don't like him, you know, he's going to do exactly the way he looks and what breed exactly the way he's bred to be you know there's no question marks and that's what kind of leads you into the next answer hell yes guys overfit boars i mean that is a no-brainer any boarstead guy that tells you they don't overfit boars um at exhibitors aren't overfitting boars uh you know any boarstead owner will tell you that you know and the whole thing is is it's all about the money you know, it's all about the money. Oh, we got to sell the $50,000 one. No matter if he looks like a, you know, skinnier in a fence post and whatever, a month later, by God, he wins and he brings the cash. I mean, so we're all in, you know, and that is the problem in this industry, uh, in my opinion. And that's where the dying breed of that breeder's mentality of we've got to make these things better. We don't just chase the the green, you know. Yeah, we all have to make money. We all have to try to pay bills. But, you know, we also have a responsibility as purebred breeders to the breeds. 
making them better, leaving it in a better place than what we found it. When I'm 60 years old, I hope there's a young guy that I can help out like Ross Hirschfeld helped me. I mean, that is what, that's how it's supposed to work in my opinion. And uh, so, yes, these guys fit them too hard. Um, you know, that there's, you know, there's priorities, you know, as judges, you know, Trevor can attest to this, you know, there's just simple priorities, you know, muscle, skeletal width, you know, some, you know, design structure, you're weighing all this stuff out, you know, in the boar stud thing, there's another one and it's the melt factor, you know, so you got a deadly looking good bone one that's just okay muscled and you know the guy who's been feeding him boy you know as a Borstead guy I've been in those shoes it's like hmm I know that one's gonna melt if I don't feed him 50 mg and starter pellets the rest of his life and that to me is the problem I mean we should not have to do that as Borstead owners like our Borsteads in America should not have to power fit these boars until they're four years old, just to keep them together for open houses. And that's what they've been forced to do because it's all about the consumer. It's not anything about the breeds. And that's where I take a real issue with that mentality. And I am a dying breed in that regard because everybody tells me, oh yeah, that's really, you know, commendable. Yep. That's nice. But at the end of the day, you know, you're kind of stupid. You better get paid while you can get paid because it's going to be a short-lived life. When I moved back to Ohio, I got told I was crazy for wanting to just sell red ones. You're going to have 45 red sows in the state of Ohio, and you think you're going to make a living? Yep. I'm doing okay. You know, I'm doing real well. Um, so... I don't know that the mentality is what scares me in the Borstead thing. It's not necessarily the fitting, you know, it's easy to want to power fit a boar, especially when you think he's a stud because you're like, man, I really need to pay this bill, you know, and I can understand that. But to me, there's, there needs to be a line in the sand on, we've got to get back to making these things better. I don't care if it's a Duroc, a Poland, a Spot, a damn Hereford, Tamworth. I don't care what your breed of preference is. Berkshire. Berkshire. Sorry, I, I, I mean, you. power to you. But, that, I mean, we, we've got to get back to making these breeds better because at the end of the day, purebreds are all we got. Crossbreds are dime a dozen. There's five billion of the dang things in the country. And – I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to make crossbreds, but I also don't think the guys that make the best crossbreds really know they made the best crossbreds until they had the pigs because there ain't no damn predictability in these things. So that's where we've got to get back to home base, get back on feed, I guess you could say, as far as being dedicated to making breeds better. So, yes, guys power fit boars. And why I go into this making the breeds better thing is because when you power fit a boar, and he wins the show. He might be garbage in a month. But everybody sitting ringside liked him. So they're going to use him. What boar stud in the country? Heck, I wouldn't even do it. Guys, call you up? I would do it. But 
I don't blame these boar studs. You know, guys call you up. Oh, man, I need to use so-and-so, that champion boar from World Pork Expo. You got any? You bet we do. They didn't ask you how he looked. They didn't ask you all that questions. They said, you got any? And you say yes, and you sell the semen because you got to make money on this shitter. That's exactly what is happening. And what that does is that that makes the breeds worse. Guys use good boars, hype boars on sows. And at the end of the day, you know, that's why when I go to shows and I see these boars sell for all this money, I have only liked a handful, to be honest, and, and haven't used any of them. But, uh, you know, sometimes a smile. Oh, man, that was a $75,000. Yeah, everybody's going to use that one. Hell, that'll be good. Take them back another year and I can keep doing what I'm doing. Um, so as far as fitting boars, I will tell anybody listening to this, if I ever, I don't care if you're my best friend, if I ever see a guy or a, a lady pumping Matrix into a boar at a hog show, I'll cut the son of a bitch where he stands. And I used to say that to people that would ask me, not knowing, like, hey, is it okay? No, it's not okay. I mean, I just think that is, that is so stupid. I mean, so let's make them feel like a woman and testicle size gets smaller, semen production goes down. You know, they've got them higher than a kite on drugs to try to get them to show and keep their feet and legs right and all this other crap. Why can't we just get back to showing herd boars? I mean, they should look like a boar. They should go home and everybody should have to have a no milk guarantee because really, you know, you don't go to Walmart and say, I want, you know, or uh, let's go to a, a suit shop. You know, you're going to get fitted for a, for a suit and you're going to get this decked out suit. So you buy it, you spend all this money on the thing and then you get it and it's made out of newspaper. Wouldn't you be pissed? <laughs> I mean, that's where these Borstead guys, I feel bad for them because you know, there's some of them boars, they get hung out to dry on. I mean, they're way good in the show ring, and then they just get worse and worse and worse and worse. And, you know, I couldn't take pride if I was a breeder that raised them that melt like that. That's why I do the no milk guarantee. Yeah. I mean, it should put every guy at ease. And it does. I mean, that's, hey, you feed them so they can grow. And right. it, it's a testament to uh, to their actual phenotype and genetics behind them. Because uh, that's that's the reason that they're good. So, man, I love the passion. I knew this was going to be a good topic because I knew it's something that uh, we talk about every time I'm over there, and uh, it's good stuff. We're striking a pose, folks, for Legacy Livestock Imaging. Guys, Heidi Anderson and Charles Anderson, you guys know the drill. Their team are the best when it comes to livestock photography. Now, let's not forget not only do they take amazing photos inside the ring and around the barns, but they're doing weddings and senior photography. Look, May is really not that far away, so let's be booking those senior sessions. Just go LegacyLivestockImaging.com, and while you're there, check out those amazing prints that they have. We love our folks at LegacyLivestockImaging.com. Go check them out. Uh, we've got the last question that we do here uh, in our in our second season, and 
Uh, it's so intriguing to hear everybody's uh, take on this. And the question we've asked everybody uh, here in 2020 is, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned while being involved in the show stock industry? Oh, um, I guess for me, is you find out how great your family can be, for one. I'm truly blessed to have the family I have. Uh, my mom, dad, brother, sister, and cousins, and uncles, and aunts, and you know, everybody that helped me build my place. I mean, that's, we built those barns in 11 days, uh, the shells, and finished them in another week, and had concrete in three days, and insulation in two days, and I mean, guys, I mean, we started building barns on Labor Day weekend, and I moved sows in by the 1st of November. I mean, so we were cooking. So I truly appreciate my family a great deal. Um, you know, a few things I think, and this is for all you guys listening, you know, you might have listened to the last whatever it's been, 50 minutes, and thought, man, that guy is really, he's full of crap. He blows a lot of smoke. That's okay. You're entitled to your opinion. But, uh, you know, I would tell you, you young breeders out there, stick to your guns. You know, that's something I learned a long time ago. I'm 28 years old. I took over a boar stud at 23. And unless you've done that and you are the sole person at a boar stud, you're collecting, extending, and selling semen, buying 60, 70, $100,000 boars on your call. I mean, you know, and it, it really hit home to me when I was 23 talking to a 60-year-old breeder that all I've ever done in my life is look up to him. And he says, I got this sow. What do you, what do you think I ought to use on her? So what he's doing is he's taking a small piece of his livelihood and putting it in the balance of your hands. And I learned at you know, young age, you know, you need to stick to your guns. If you think you're good, you better damn sure be good, or you better be damn convincing that you're half, you know, pretty decent. And, and uh, you know, through those experiences at a cut above, boy, it just gave me so much more confidence. You know, it was so exciting going to college to judge, but you found out how stupid you were in junior college, <laughs> and they tried to coach you up. Then you go to senior college and you find out, well, you know, I can still be pretty damn dumb, but I think I'm starting to get it. And then you get out of college and you go and apply these things that you learn in JUCO and senior college judging. And you find out that, man, it's a lot different in the real world. So you have to put your foot down. I put my foot down and told myself that I am on a mission to wipe bad rear legs off the face of this earth. If I'm judging a show, all you guys listening, if I'm the guy judging, if you bring me one that's bow-legged, I'm sorry, you're not going to have a good day. And, you know, sticking to your guns as a breeder, as a stock evaluator, it's going to go a long way. But, uh, you know, a couple other things is, you know, you obviously have to have confidence in yourself. But, you know, anybody can have success if you want it bad enough and you work hard enough for it. And... I am living proof of that. That is not patting me on my own back. I grew up in a small town here in Ohio and, you know, really never farrowed a sow until I was 
oh, 16, and I was just helping out a few guys. Um, went to college, applied myself, got pretty good at evaluating stock, took a real interest in, in uh, just the challenges of making livestock better and landed a job at a commercial unit and, you know, worked my way up through the ranks there, go to a cut above, started with three of us at a cut above. The gal that was working there quit the week before I started. And the guy that I was supposed to work with quit two weeks after I started. And I had a summer intern while I was still learning the farm. Uh, my first year, I had a really good hired guy um, for two years. And then I had a good friend of mine here in Ohio come out and help me for another year. Um, and then I dispersed Hirschfeld before I left. But, uh, you know you can, you can, anybody can have success. I mean, I'm living proof. I'm 28. I'm doing pretty well. I mean, I'm not winning everything. I'm not the standard in the Duroc breed right now by any means. Um, but I think that, you know, the way I look at it is I don't need to be the guy, but I want them. I want people to think, man, you know, what, what the hell's he doing? You know, they're a little bit nervous about what I'm cooking up down here because I'm, you know, it'd be real easy for me to go rack up a $30,000, $40,000 semen bill and I could sell the living crap out of baby pigs. I promise you, um, even higher than I already sell them. And I'd probably make some boars that weren't, aren't as good as what I make out of my own boars, but they're out of the hype stuff. So guys then like them and, uh, probably sell some boars and make some money. Um, but I'm just too damn stubborn. And, and I would tell you it's okay to be stubborn um, as long as you ain't stupid and stubborn at the same time. So, um, I really, I try hard not to be stupid. So, um, I think I can be okay being stubborn, but, uh, you know, the last thing I thought that you, you'd learn that I've learned is, you know, you choose your friends wisely. You know, my, my mom used to tell me when I was a kid, uh, you know, you got to watch who you surround yourself with because their reputation becomes your reputation. And I would second that in the livestock industry. I don't care if you're just a judge, if you're uh, you know, guy that likes to jock 150 hogs a year or a breeder or a feeder, or I don't care what you are, a fitter. I don't care what you are, but you know, I get kind of made fun of a little bit because the guys I hang out with are the old boys, the legends, I call them, you know, uh, Greg Norman. I mean, I nicknamed him the legend about three, four years ago, and he's like a second father to me. He's been a great friend to me, um, you know, and I, I love talking hogs with him because I learn something new every day. Maybe I don't agree with it all the time, but those old boys, I'm telling you, they, they've, they've been through every transition in this hog thing. And, um, I really like talking to them, you know, Greg, John Hinker's a great friend, you know, Chuck Olson, you know, I can go on and on and on, um, about older guys that I pal around with, you know, I don't usually hang around my generation at hog shows. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's okay to just sit back and learn something at a hog show. You don't always have to just get, you know, drink beer and have a fun time, mm. but, uh, so, I mean, really, those are the biggest lessons, you know, that I could say I've learned. And, you know, 
you young guys, if you guys are listening to this, I don't know if anybody will even listen to it, but you know, the, the young guys that, that need some motivation, I mean, it is okay to not have a hand-me-down legendary firm handed to you. I mean, it is okay to not Pharaoh Sows from the day you were born. Um, you can do it. I mean, I did it. I mean, and, uh, I mean, I'm doing okay at it. So I don't know. I always hate when kids just say, well, I don't have sows, so I really am never going to be, you know, I'm not going to be this guy. I can't be that guy. Well, why the hell can't you? I mean, you can do anything you want. Um, so stick to your guns, be your own person, you know, and if you've got the confidence in your eye, um, you know, do your own thing. I'm telling you, you, you don't spend 30, 40,000 on semen one year. I'll tell you, you'll like it an awful lot. <laughs> you'll, like, you'll like it a great deal compared to spending all that change on semen. Mm. Uh, yeah. So that's, I guess my long winded answer. Hey, we, uh, we appreciate it. That's good stuff there. And, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, when you said earlier, you know, most people call you an old soul and you like to think that you're probably that way. I, I, you know, after hearing you talk and tell those stories, I don't know if anybody would have guessed you were, you were, you know, not even 30 yet. So, um, <laughs> real good stuff there, Seth. We appreciate your time. Um, man, this, this episode, I really do hope a lot of people listen to it. Just there, there's lots of different stuff to take away from it. Um, and uh, keep keep on keeping on. Uh, keep your nose down and and keep working hard. Obviously, it's paying off for you in a lot of different ways. So, looking forward to see what uh, 2021 has in store for you. Good luck, Farron. Uh, and uh, we appreciate you jumping on with us. You bet. Appreciate having me. Thanks, Seth. So, you guys haven't met yet. You and Seth have not yet met, but uh, correct. Tongue twisters are fun. Well, my brain is dumb, I think, first and foremost. But, man, I think he's a guy that you just need to go visit and just chat about pigs. because, it, And I'm talking our listeners, too. If, if you've yet to, to meet Seth, um, that's the tip of the iceberg uh, of the way he runs his operation. Uh, his thoughts, his passion is, is awesome. Uh, rather, you're, you're breeding guinea pigs or whatever. Uh, he's a guy that can get you amped up uh, for genetics itself. So had a really good talk there, and I'm I'm thankful he's back in Ohio now uh, because he's got some really good hogs that I can now uh, place in other people's hands. No doubt it, Trev. Uh, really, really appreciate uh, the enthusiasm and real-world perspective that Seth brings to the table. Um, if you If you know somebody... Uh, out there uh, around Seth's or, or I guess our age bracket uh, that's breeding hog uh, continue that conversation and, and pick brains of, of folks like that because we you know mainstream um, livestock production practices especially in the swine industry you don't necessarily hear that kind of conversation being had anymore uh, it's more so of what's the next big thing and, and what's going to, what's going to generate us the most money, the fastest. Um, and clearly Seth's dedication to doing it his way 
and breeding hogs that are going to be uh, successful long-term is something that uh, I think just about anybody can get fired up to listen to. Uh, whether whether you agree with that practice or not, uh, I think something that's definitely to be admired. Absolutely. Yep. I would like to say good luck to those getting uh, ready to show in Louisville. You're probably on your way there now if you're listening uh, the first week of November. Um, I hope the absolute best is all I'm going to say for the entirety of Louisville on the green shavings. Good luck to all of you who are showing down there. I wish I could go, but I am not going to make it. I'll be at a bachelor party. So on to the next one. Yes, you will. Well, again, um, send us those Breedem Ship and Shums. We love them every week. Uh, They're really good. And, uh, man, let's just keep Stock Talk rolling. Let's do it. I'm pumped. And we are pumped to keep them coming at you. Uh, we've got a lot, a uh, lot of guests out there that uh, going to be awesome. So, folks, we love each and every one of you. Keep spreading the good word. God bless America. See you next week. I got a good.